Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. We are going to be finishing something that we started uh, about a month ago. We started, we started a series on stewardship, and we've just been talking about uh, how do we handle the things that God's given to us, the, the money, the possessions, the, the stuff that God gives to us, and, and how do we handle that? And we've talked about all kinds of stuff, and it's been a little bit, so I'll refresh you. But before I do that, um, I just want you to know that what I'm going to do this morning is really dangerous. I mean, it's really dangerous. These are, these are troubled waters that we're going to wade into together. I mean, these are shark-infested, anaconda-infested, gators, jellyfish, cockroach-infested waters. Okay, this is, this is dangerous stuff. Many a pastor has died talking about what I'm going to talk because their congregation just stoned them after the service, okay? We're going to talk about upside-down generosity, upside down generosity. And here's why. We've talked about this on week one. In a time like this, where we have inflation, where our dollars are stretched, have you been to the grocery store lately? Yeah, right? My deodorant was $7. I'm like, I'm going to stop wearing deodorant. Like, this is ridiculous, you know? We're feeling it, right? We're feeling the pinch. And in times like this, the temptation, and honestly, the temptation for churches in general is to never talk about money because we don't want people to think like that's what we're here for, right? We're, we're here to take people's money because that's not what we're here for the kingdom of God. We're here to see Jesus exalted, the gospel go forth, his ministry happening in our city. That's what we're here for, okay? So we, we don't want to be people who it feels like, man, all they do is talk about money, and especially at a time like this, why would we talk about money? Well, here's why. I think we need it more than ever right now because of the season that we're walking through here on planet Earth, especially here in the U.S. Uh, we talked about money matters, and we talked about how it matters to us, and it matters to God, and his plan for money and possessions should matter to us because it, it frees us from anxiety, right? It, 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 aligns with, it aligns us with heaven's economy. It's just, we, we need it. It's good for us. Second week, we talked about escaping the traps, and I shared about Casey's trip to the zoo in South Korea. If you haven't heard that message, just that story alone, it's, it's worth hearing Casey's trip to the zoo in South Korea. Let's just say she escaped some traps, okay? And uh, we talked about how the scripture warns us about some traps with money and possessions. And again, God is for us. He's not against us. And he's equipping us to help us. And this week, I want to talk about upside down generosity. And I thought this would be really cool. At the end of the service, we're going we're gonna to have an offering and you're literally going to stand on your head. We're going to do this upside down. 
and it'll be the service we never forget, right? It's just going to be awesome. No, no, we're not going to do that. I'm talking about the paradigms, the way that we think about money, the way that we think about generosity and giving, that there are predominant, um, I'm going to call them scripts. If If you know the term, flip the script. Scripts that we have that are powerful and, and we have to turn them upside down because here's what I believe is that every one of us wants to be a generous person. And I've seen that in this church. Like you guys have been generous over and over and over again. I mean, we've given money to all kinds of things and places and people. You care for each other. You, you give to this church and we're, we're fine. And this is Labor Day weekend, so you're, you're the serious ones here today. All right, so we're, we're safe in this room, okay? But there's some powerful scripts that if we're not careful, they will undo this desire in us to be generous. I want to talk about how do we flip those upside down and see from the word of God what, what he would have us do in regards to generosity. I want to begin with some wisdom this morning. This is Proverbs 11, 24, and 25, and here's what it says. One person gives freely, yet gains more. That sounds nice. Another withholds what is right, only to become poor. A generous person will be enriched, and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. Wow. One person gives freely, yet gains more. Another withholds what is right, only to become poor. It's talking about generosity. We're going to see this throughout the entire arc of the scripture and where we're going to land this morning. If you're looking for where to turn your Bible to, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read some verses there and we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Okay, so if you want to turn there in your Bibles, that's where we're going to land. And I just want you to think about the wisdom of this, that one person gives freely and yet gains more and another person withholds what is right only to become poor, that there's this vision that we have throughout the scripture of generosity that actually not only do you benefit others and how you're generous, but God brings benefit to you. So before we dive into the New Testament, I want to give you just a little bit of biblical history of generosity, just to know like where did this come from? Because you know the New Testament was not written in a void or a vacuum. It's building on the Old Testament. Testament means covenants from the Latin word for covenant. So old covenant, new covenant. The new covenant is based on the old covenant. So let's talk about where do we come from. I think I have a slide for this in the back if you want to go to the next one. The biblical history of generosity. Now, there's a word that you hear in churches, and it's the word tithe. And you probably don't ever, ever, ever use that word anywhere else. You're like, I I don't even know what that means. Well, a tithe simply means a tenth. And in Genesis chapter 14, we see Abram, before he becomes Abraham, he's with the king of Salem, Melchizedek, that we learn about in Psalm 110 and Hebrews 7. He's a prefiguring of Christ, the king of Salem. By the way, Jerusalem, he was the king of Jerusalem. And uh, Abram comes back from this big battle and he, he defeats these kings and he has all this plunder and Melchizedek was a priest of God. And it says that Abraham gives him a tenth. And this was the, before the law ever came, this was the first time that we see a tithe, a tenth. 
then we have this, this uh, three ties of Israel. So when Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, right, and it's on fire and, and there's smoke and, and it's like the people are trembling at the base of the mountain. Moses walks up there. He spends 40 days and 40 nights with the Lord on this mount. God gives him this, what we call the law, how Israel was to relate to God. This was about their relationship with him. And he told them this, and, and here's the first one, the Levitical or sacred tithe. I'm not going to go to the passages. You can go there on your own time. But this was a tenth of their, uh, their crops, their animals, their whatever money they're making. They would give this, and it was to care for the Levites who were a tribe that didn't have land. They didn't, they didn't get any allotment. They were dependent on the gifts of the people, and they would serve in the temple or the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And so the people of Israel were caring for the Levites. It's the first tithe. The, the, the second tithe, you're going to like this one, was the feast or festival tithe. And here's what this one was. God told them, Set apart a tenth of all your things, right? animals, food, crops, money. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to mandate a vacation for you. You're all going to go to Jerusalem, and you're going to remember how the Lord brought you out of Egypt, how he set you free from your captors, your, your captives. And, and, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to get there, and you're going to take all that stuff that you saved, and you're going to feast isn't that oppressive of God? What a, what a terrible oppressive system. He sets apart a tithe, but it wasn't for them to give to someone else. They were going to go and they were going to feast and enjoy that in the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. Wow. I mean, they, there's this verse in Deuteronomy 14.6, and here's what he says about them going to the, the feast. He says, you may spend the silver on anything you want. Cattle, sheep, goats, wine, beer, light up swords for the children, funnel cakes, right? Anything you desire, you are to feast there in the presence of the Lord, your God, and rejoice with your family. Let's bring that tithe back, right? That sounds like fun. Let's go save some money and let's go do something together. It was the feast or festival tithe. The third one was this, the tithe for the poor. This was about social concern. The, the widows, the orphans, and on the third year, they would set apart a tenth. So if you spread that out over three years, it'd be 3.333333% every year that they would set aside. So in total, they were giving 23.33333% of their income away every single year. Wow. So, what does that mean for us? Well, here's what it means for us, is that the biblical pattern is regular percentage-based giving. They do it every year. Regular percentage-based giving. There, there was a story that you know of about Jesus and he's watching, he's with his disciples, he's watching people put their gifts in the, the, you know, the offering basket at the temple, basically. 
And he's sitting there and he's just watching, which is interesting that Jesus is watching because we're all like, you know, like hide and we're going to go like, you know, slip it in there real fast where nobody sees, right? But Jesus is watching this. And it says that rich people were, were dropping in their gifts, right? And, and, and they're putting it in there. And then there was this little widow that came out and she had two little coins and she drops it into the offering and Jesus stops his disciples. He grabs him. He's like, did you see that? These people, they, they gave out of their surplus, but she gave everything she had to live on. What that meant was this. She gave the full percentage, everything she had. And Jesus is amazed because there's this pattern of, of, of a of regular percentage-based giving. And on top of that, these people also gave free will gifts. There was a, a time where Moses was, he's, he's commissioning the building of the tabernacle. And it says that everyone whose heart was moved and whose spirit prompted him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of the meeting. So it's like, he's like, hey, everybody, we're going to build this thing. It's going to be awesome. Like God showed me on the mountain. I've got a whole blueprint. You're going to love it. Okay, but here's the thing. I need you to give. And the people just responded, right? And what they did is they brought so much that later in the, in the, a few verses later, it says they had to stop them and saying, it's too much. Like, please stop giving. They were giving free will offerings on top of this 23.33333% every year. Now, here's what you probably already know. We're not under the law, right? They lived in a theocracy where God was the center of the, of the civil life and the temple was the center of, of both uh, their, their spiritual life, but also their, their governmental life, right? And we, we live in America. We have a democracy. We have taxes that we pay. So what does it mean for us as believers now to be generous in, in how do we honor the Lord in that way. That's, that's what we're going to look at in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Y'all ready to go there with me? Let's do it. We're going to start in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 8. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. He's taking up a collection because hard times have hit the church in Jerusalem. And so these people are going to be giving to help this church. And here's what happens. He says, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches at Macedonia, during a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Wow. Verse 3. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Verse 7. Now, as you excel in everything... In faith, speech, knowledge, all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of 
grace. I'm not saying this as a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I'm testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become, what's the word right there? Rich. Just when you wake up in the morning tomorrow, look in the mirror, stare yourself right in the eye and say, you're rich. That's what he just said. Jesus has done this to make you rich. Verse 10, and in this matter, I'm giving you advice because it is profitable for you who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it. Now, also finish the task so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. Verse 12, for if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. All right? Still tracking with me? Skip to verse 9. The reason why I'm taking this here is this is the de facto passage in the New Testament about giving. We're going to pick back up in verse 6 of chapter 9. Here it says, the point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work, as it is written. He distributed freely. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures Forever, Verse 10, now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way for all generosity, which, he produ- which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Verse 13, because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grade grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. So here we have Paul. He's using the generosity of one church to set an example for another church, and he's teaching them about how do we be generous here as New Testament believers, New Covenant believers who are not under the law but are under grace, who serve in the new way of the Spirit. How in the world do we become generous people? And here's what he does, is repeatedly Paul flips the script. 
I just want to look at the ways that he does this. The first one is this. Flip number one, from I can't afford to give to I can't afford not to give. That's the flip that he makes here. In, in chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, he says this about them, that during a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy, so affliction, right, joy, and extreme poverty, that's weird, overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. That is totally upside down. That makes no sense to me. Hey, we're going through a really hard time right now. We're really, really poor. Great affliction. How can we give to help those people that you're talking about? Like, can, can we do something? Can, we'll take a, a collection, right? And they, they overflow in this generosity and they flip the script because these people are beginning to understand that it's not that they couldn't afford to give, it's that they couldn't afford not to give. Um, we clearly can have this attitude. I can't afford to give, right? We, we, we tend to adjust our standard of giving to our standard of living. Does that make sense? Right? We, we want to live at a certain standard and then whatever we have left over, it's like, well, maybe I can give that away, right? We, we, we adjust our standard of giving to our standard of living. And in America, just the believers alone, if you're to take up you know, a, a headcount of all the believers, in America, we make $5.2 trillion every year. Wow, that's a lot of money. And... Christians in America currently give, on average, about 2.5% of their income, which, interestingly, during the Great Depression, Christians were giving 3.3% of their income away. So somehow, we have the opposite situation that they have. We have abundant prosperity... We don't have a whole lot of affliction. We do have some affliction. We don't have a whole lot of afflictions. So we have prosperity. We have the absence of afflictions. And we have not welled up in generosity. Rather, we've become less and less generous as believers. But we see this thing in the early church. In Acts chapter 4, it says there was not a needy person among them. Because all those who owned lands or sold houses, they brought the proceeds of, of what they had sold and they laid it at the apostles' feet. What? It's crazy. Here's what I know. We'll never be able to afford to give at the end of the month. Amen? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? I know, right? If you're like, man, we got paid on the first... Praise God, thank you. You know, you get online, you start paying those bills, right? You're, 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 all the stuff you got to do. You go to the grocery store a few times and you're like, let's go out. You know, let's do something fun. And you do something fun. And then by the end of the month, you're like, oh, we should give. It's like, ooh, <laughs> weird. All the money went away. I don't know what happened, right? It's just, there's something about this. It's, it's when we don't give first, we can't afford to give anymore, because all that money finds its own way out. And we see in the history of giving that these people had a principle of the first fruits. That they would give their first and they would give their best. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. I think I have this on a slide back there. It says, 
honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. And guess, guess what he says? Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Weird. That doesn't make sense. Give it away and all of a sudden you'll have what you need. That's what he's saying. Now, when you give first, here's the thing. You can't spend what you already gave away. Amen? So there's this principle that we have from Scripture that we are to give regularly, and we should give first. Right? What that means for Casey and I, the first of the month in like the 15th of the month, we get paid. And so the first thing we do is we're going we're gonna to send that offering off. Right? We're, we're going to make sure that that gets out because we know money will find its way out of our account. 1 Corinthians 16.2, Paul tells them, on the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering. When we give first, we flip the script. We go from adjusting our standard of living, I mean, we, we go from adjusting our standard of giving to our living, and we flip it around and we adjust our standard of living to our standard of giving. That was hard to say, but I think you understand what I'm saying, right? Okay, good. Good, that's the first flip. The, the second flip that we see here is from giving is a burden to giving is a blessing. Now, when you hear someone begin to tell you about their financial hardships, if you're like me, there's a little voice inside of you that says, oh gosh, where's this going, right? Please don't ask me for money at the end of this, right? Have you ever felt that way before, if you're honest? Yeah, someone tells you all their hardships and you're like, please don't ask me for money at the end of this. So, so we have this mentality of, man, I hope they don't ask me for money. But in, in this church, here's what he says in 8 verse 4, they begged us. They begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. That is totally upside down, right? It's like when you go out to eat with another uh, family, they're, they're also believers, and at the end, you're like arm wrestling over who gets to pay, right? No, no, me, 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 no, I got, no, I owe you. I owe you from before, from somewhere, right? It's, it's my turn. No, 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 I got it. No, please, you know, it's just like this. We, we're begging for the privilege of sharing and meeting the needs of another family. It's a, it's a gift. It's a blessing. I looked up the the definition of the word blessing. And, and the second thing, this is from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, says this, a thing conducive to happiness or welfare. It's a blessing. And if we think that keeping all of our money in our possessions for our own selves is conducive to happiness and welfare, then generosity will always be a burden to us. Always. But if we can begin to flip the script and understand and know, this is a privilege. God's given me this for a purpose. I can use this for his glory. I can give this away and bless someone else. This is not a burden anymore. This is a blessing. It brings welfare and joy and happiness to me. We can give 
our best. The flip, the third flip is this. From I give to get God's favor to I give because I have God's favor. That's a big one. That's a big one. In verse 1 of chapter 8, he starts talking to them about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. Later, he says, you know, now as you excel in everything, and then he says this in verse 7, excel also in this act of drudgery. No. Excel in this act of grace. Now, a grace, you know, is a gift from God. It's, it's an unmerited kindness. It's favor that we didn't deserve, that we didn't earn, and it's just something that God pours out on us because he's gracious, and he's kind, and he's compassionate, and he's loving, and he's good, and he lavishes grace upon us. And, and he's saying, look, this giving is a grace. We know that there's false teaching out there that says that, you know, if you, if you give, you know, if you give some money, man, you're going to be rich tomorrow, right? You're going to be so wealthy. But what Paul said is this, hey, poor people, you're rich. How? Jesus paid it all for you. He left the highest place in the universe and he came and he, he just buried himself into the dust of the earth and let all of our sins get piled on top of him and then he let us put him onto a cross and he was pierced for our transgressions and he did this so that he, in his poverty, you might become rich. And it's not... It's not just this stuff. It's the true wealth of having your soul right with God. You're rich. So before you could ever write a tithe check, before you could ever give to a missionary, before you could ever support your favorite nonprofit, Jesus died for you. When you were dead in your transgressions, before we could do anything that would, that would earn favor, it's like we, could just, we just couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. Jesus had to do it for us. And so we give not to earn our way into heaven. Hey, I've had a, I've had a rough year. I uh, might have done a few things I shouldn't have. But you know what? I'm going to write a check to the church, and we're going to be good. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> doesn't work that way. Sometimes we wish it worked that way, but it doesn't work that way. No, Jesus paid it all. And now I give because he's already paid it all. I have his favor. The last one, flip number four. From finding security through keeping to finding security through giving. This is a big flip. We can justify not giving because we're wise with our money, right? Like, well, you know, things are tight right now and family's got to eat and, you know, if we need to get back and forth to work and oh, things are so, it, I'm not going to give because that wouldn't be wise right now. But here's what we see 
in this passage. In chapter 9, verse 6, he begins to talk about how God gives. And here's what he says. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. And he says in verse 10, the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also, what's that word? Provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He, he's flipping the script on us by saying, look, if you want to find security, like if you want to know like, ha, huh, we're going to be okay. Here's, here's how you do that. You live generously. Live generously. Because when you're banking on everything working out to your plan in your bank account, guess what happens? A little thing called life, Right? We all know it. But when we have this assurance that, you know what, we just, we live generously to the Lord. He provides for us. Then we have true security. There was this passage in Malachi chapter 3, and it's, it's pretty intense. I, I'm going to just reference it. Malachi chapter 3, and and here's what the prophet of God says. And, and, you know, I was thinking about this passage because God is saying through the prophet to the nation of Israel, return to me and I'll return to you. And we talk a lot about revival, like Jesus, we want our nation to be saved. We want our, our, our children to, to follow you. We want people who are far from you to become close to you. Like we, we want revival to sweep through our land. And so the people say, how do we return to you? And, and here's what Malachi begins to tell them. And this is by the Spirit of God. He's speaking. He says, will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? by not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. And here's what he says. You're suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. Here's how you break the curse on your land, people of God. It's not about, you know, changing all the politicians and all the things that we think about. He says, give, give and watch what I do. Their security was found in generosity. It's upside down and it challenges us to flip the script on generosity. So, in light of this, what do we do? I just, I have a slide. I just want to put, these are, these are the application points from, from Paul's words to them. Here's what he says. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Excel in it. And here's how we do that. Simply, we just give regularly. Just work it into the rhythm of your life. Hey, we got paid this week. Praise God. We're going to give this week. Do it regularly. 
regularly. Excel in the grace. 9-7, he says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And it's this, give worshipfully. Like, pray about this. God, what should we give? Lord, Spirit, lead us. I, I, I need your direction. I need to know, like, how, how do I handle this? How much do you want me to give? And I'll do it, God. I'll do it to you, cheerfully. And lastly, he says this. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Meaning this. We give generously because Jesus was so generous to us in laying down his life. Here's the rub. About 5% of American Christians tithe. So, and I know there are people in this room that do that, and I just want to say, you're among the few. You're among the few. Um, like I said earlier, on average, about 2.5%. And, and here's, here's my concern is that we can justify that because we're under grace now. Does that make sense? Jesus paid all. I can't earn his salvation. Woo, keep the money. Honey, keep the money. Jesus paid it all. So think through that. People who had to obey a law, who had to take their prized animals and take it to the temple and lay their hand upon it and confer their sin upon that animal, watch it die, go back and do it again the very next year. So those people were giving 10%, 23.3%, whatever it is, every year. And so now we have the Lamb of God who comes and bears the sin for us on a cross so that we don't have to do that anymore, praise God, right? And so somehow people who have the Spirit of God living inside of them because of the gift of Jesus and who are under grace are now giving less and that feels upside down to me. That feels upside down. How do we justify giving less than people who were having to obey God by the law when we have his spirit living inside of us? And I think the only way that that happens is that somehow the scripts have gotten flipped inside of our hearts. So if you're in that boat, I just want you to know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? If you're like, man, I want to be generous. I really do. I love generous people. I love being around them. I want to be like that. Here's what I would say. Just start now. Start now. To use Malachi's language of robbing God. So if, if I were robbing banks... And you're like, Chris, you shouldn't, you shouldn't rob banks. Uh, and I would say to you, well, do you think I should kind of step it back slowly? Like maybe less banks per month that I'm going to rob? Or like, how, like should, what should I do, right? And I, I'm thinking that you're probably going to say, maybe you should never rob a bank again, right? Like, I'm pretty sure at some point it's going to catch up with you and you're going to like go to jail. So stop, 
okay? Now, just take that logic and let's apply it to, to this concept of giving, of like, do I just slowly work my way there? And I was like, maybe we should just start. Start there and let the Old Testament giving become the basement, not the ceiling. Because the answer to our financial problems is not less generosity. Because we need his blessing more than ever. Now, if you get mad at me and you want to stone me after the service, please don't. Like, I want to live after this, okay? But if you're like, Chris, I'm, I'm so angry at you for talking about this. I'm never coming back to this church again. Bummer. But whatever church you go to, start tithing there, okay? <laughs> because just like you, churches have bills. Churches have aspirations. We, we want to be in a building someday. We, we want to we hire people that will take care of certain ministry aspects that we want to see fulfilled. And guess what? All that takes is the people of God, just with whatever, however they're prospering, as they're praying, as they're, as they're asking God, how, how do we give, right? If you, just, if you just do that, I know that I know that I know that I know that God will take care of the rest. If we just each do whatever part God's calling us to do, he's going to take care of it. We're going to see his kingdom grow and expand, and the church is going to be blessed. We're going to be supporting missionaries. It's going to be awesome. But it takes people like us who will just say, Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. To close, I want to have our friend Jordan come and share a testimony. Jordan is a, has been a part of our church from the very beginning. Um, Eli's uh, service yesterday was kind of, uh, in some ways, a real uh, repeat for us as a church body because four months ago, Jordan and Lauren had the very same thing happen with their baby, Grace. And so I'm going to have him share a little bit about that uh, for us this morning. So, Jordan, come on. Um, I'm here to share a little bit about, uh, Chris asked me to share about God's faithfulness. And um, this is, this is a, kind of like a, a second half of Grace's story that some of you may not have been fully aware of. Uh, most of you are familiar with the story of Grace, but I'm just going to give you a quick overview of, for, for those that... Um, didn't know. On March 15th, my wife, Lauren, and I, she's not here this morning, but uh, Lauren gave birth to our little girl, baby, baby Grace, in that picture there. And um, she was born with a rare genetic syndrome known as trisomy 18. And from the, from the very beginning, uh, it caused a lot of health complications for her. And um, we were repeatedly told, you know, Grace isn't gonna, Grace isn't gonna live, you need to say goodbyes now. And, um, uh, but, but all of you were a part of, of just seeing the God's faithfulness and, and what he did in 34 days in her life. On April 18th, though, her health took a very drastic turn and she ended up going with Jesus. About two weeks before Grace passed, we discovered that our cost-sharing plan um, for our health care would not be able to cover the full cost of Grace's medical bills. And up until this point, we had just assumed that it would have been, you know, that most of that would have been taken care of by them. We learned actually, in fact, that they would cover less than 20% of the entire bill. Grace had racked up a hospital bill of $734,000. Mind you, this is just the hospital bill. 
This did not include all the extra physician fees, labs, medications, etc. Her total bill climbed to well over $800,000. She was expensive, just like her mama. And you can see the problem here. This bill seemed to, seemed to be very intimidating. But we also had an amazing peace throughout all this because through all of Grace's life, the Lord had just reminded us to bring each moment to him. He, was, he would be faithful. This wasn't our fight. This was a God-sized problem that required a God-sized solution, so we continually reminded him of that. Lauren was advised to apply for scholarships to the financial office there at the hospital. They even encouraged us to apply for Medicaid, but we knew off the bat we weren't going to qualify for, for those things. What ended up happening next was a miracle in itself. We qualified for another program known as Medicaid Spend Down. After learning a little bit more about it and making many phone calls, Lauren was able to get all the billing departments uh, coordinated with the medical uh, spend down team. For about a month, we didn't hear um, from either side. We didn't hear anything from the billing side. We didn't hear anything from the Medicaid side. Um, until Lauren decided to log into Grace's account and to, to see what her status was. And we have a slide for this one. Can you share it? When we sing sometimes, Jesus paid it all. We don't think that's going to apply to our bills, but sometimes it does. I want to take a moment and also highlight the fact that so many of you also gave toward our costs as well. This helped pay for a funeral, meals, travel costs, all the other out-of-pocket expenses that you don't think of that you'd need. You guys are an example of God's faithfulness to us. This is what Chris is talking about. God is faithful, and because of his faithfulness, we are able to respond. It's an opportunity. This is just our response to his faithfulness and join in his faithful work in the world. As a church body, we have been through a lot. We attended baby Eli's funeral service yesterday. And that was just another reminder of, of the season that we're in. We must remember, though, that God is with us in the middle of it. And when we come out on the other side of this trial, we will be collectively a body that is marked by his faithfulness. He is faithful, friends. God bless you all. Wow. Um, yeah. What Jordan won't tell you, because his treasure's not here, is that he and Lauren, um, from the beginning, have just been committed to giving faithfully to the Lord. And we've watched that. And um, I wanted him to share that because um, this works because God works. It doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense that giving somehow brings provision or that God provides, but we just needed to hear that, like God works miracles in our lives. So please stand on your heads right now. 
so we can take up the offering. I'm just kidding. Don't stand on your heads. That would be terrible. <laughs> Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin-church.org.